The Arts of the San Joaquin Valley is a program that focuses on the arts community from Stockton to Merced and Foothill to Foothill. We talk with local authors, poets, playwrights, fine artists, actors, directors, filmmakers, dancers, musicians, crafters, and makers to learn more about their art and the arts-related events here in our part of the valley. We're your hosts, Linda Scheller. And I'm Sandy Graham. If you're involved in the greater arts community of our area and would like to be featured, we will share our contact information at the end of the show. I'm so pleased to have two guests today. First of all, Dr. Daniel Afonso. He's coordinator of vocal and choral studies at California State University Stanislaus. He's also a composer, arranger, and editor of choral music a voice instructor, clinician, researcher, guest conductor, and since 2001, the conductor of the Modesto Symphony Orchestra Chorus. Dr. Afonso's choral music compositions have been published by Earth Songs and Alliance Music Publications, and he lectures widely on Latin American choral repertoire. I'm also so pleased that we have Polly Vache here in the studio. Polly taught music at Downey High School from 1975 to 2004. She directed numerous choral ensembles, created instructional materials, took students on choir tours, and prepared students to audition with the All-State Honor Choir, which she now judges. Polly has been a member of the American Choral Directors Association for almost 50 years and served as coordinator of the Western Region Honor Choirs. Thank you both so much for being here today. Well, thank you for having us. It's a pleasure. Mm -hmm. Well, we met at Modesto Symphony Orchestra Chorus when I joined, and um, I'm so glad I did. I only wish I would have joined earlier. <laughs> so, could Me too. You, yeah, thank <laughs> you. Can you tell our listeners, how did MSOC get started? The chorus started when Daryl One was the artistic director um, and conductor of the Modesto Symphony, and he uh, was interested in as soon as he was hired to be a conductor he uh, demonstrated interest in doing music with orchestra and chorus and um, kind of suggested to the leadership of the symphony the Modesto symphony why not start our own symphony chorus uh, it could be a larger umbrella that could attract singers from you know not just the Modesto and Turlock but other cities in Stanislaus County it could be another booster for the core music and music, you know, uh, at large here in, in the city in in Stanislaus County, and so the Modesto Symphony decided to start the chorus. In fact, Paul Vache here was kind of in the subcommittee that was put together to the audition who ah. was going to be the conductor. Right. Do the search. For do the, the search for yeah. the conducting position, and a couple with a couple of other local um, choral specialists and teachers and, and, and professionals. And and so I was hired that year uh, to start the chorus and start auditioning everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, our first year we sang uh, Verdi's Requiem. That uh-huh. was a big, big opening for us. It was a very exciting year. 
the membership of the chorus was already over a hundred people oh. in that very first year. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, we were ve very close to 130 singers in that first year. That's impressive. Uh, it was a very fun, very fun year. So, and here we are. You know. Oh, good. And I, I have just something to add to that. Historically speaking, good. Um, the Modesto Junior College Masterworks Chorus had functioned as the uh, vocal element with the symphony for actually some years, for decades. I don't know the exact history, but it was at one time actually written into the curriculum description oh. of MJC, the vocal music department, that if you were a member of the Modesto Masterworks Chorus, you would be singing with the Modesto Symphony. And they did for so many years. Hmm. And then through a series of unfortunate things that happen with, with vocal music, which I'm sure we'll be talking about through our interview here, yeah. that choir became smaller and less able to do the larger works. Oh. So just right about that same time, as Daniel mentioned, Maestro One came on the scene mm -hmm. and suggested that the symphony go ahead and start a chorus and kind of pick up the ball at that point. So, But I, I just wanted to be sure we mentioned uh -huh. the, the long-standing role that the Modesto Junior College Vocal Department did play in, uh -huh. the, in that role of singing with the symphony. How many singers do we have currently Approximately, oh, I think it's right question. around 140. I, I think, uh -huh. yeah, and we're, we always welcome more, right? Yep. Daniel? Oh, yes. In fact, um, if there are any listeners who are interested in joining even this season, I will be taking new singers uh, starting on February 4th. That's the only thing they have to attend that first rehearsal on February okay. 4th when we'll be starting. Uh, preparations for our next concert. Well, not exactly the next concert, but the May concert, the final concert of the season. And we'll be performing a beautiful piece by the French composer Gabriel Fauré called Requiem. Mm. And so we rehearse every Monday night at Trinity United Presbyterian Church. It's on 1600 Carver Road in Modesto. Mm -hmm. At 7? So, oh, seven o'clock. Thank you. See, you know this stuff better I than do. I do. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't really. What do you recommend or or hope for in singers in Modesto Symphony Orchestra Chorus? Um, that's a really good question, because a lot of people think that if they, you know, oh, I never sang in a chorus, or mm -hmm. oh, I don't really have a good voice, or oh, people tell me that my I can't sing, or that I don't carry, a, you know, a tune. For example, my mother, when she was a child, she had a teacher who just told her that she shouldn't sing because she didn't sound very good. Oh. And for many years, she just carried that with her and never sang, you know, until mm -hmm. her she was probably in her mid-50s and... One of her friends at church said, oh, come on, you need to join the church choir. It's like, no, but I have this ugly voice. Anyways, mm -hmm. fast forward, she became section leader. She oh. was like one of the most powerful altos in the group and still singing in the chorus until today. So um, for those people who just feel like, you know, I don't know about this, just come try it out. I invite everybody to come, and if they feel shy about it, they can just watch the rehearsal a little bit and mm -hmm. see how they feel, what's the dynamics of the rehearsal, how does the music go, how does the director work, and you know. But I basically just want people who love to sing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That's kind of the number one thing. Everything else we can work around. Yeah, it's just yeah. really a devotion yeah. to, uh -huh. to the idea of choral music and being a team member, exactly yeah. um, part of you know this large ensemble that creates beautiful music Indeed. and beautiful feelings and 
you know, if they're devoted to that, then Daniel can work with whatever um, shortcomings there may be mm-hmm. when they step through the door the first time. Because we're all learning. We're all yes. on a continuum. Even professional musicians still have more to learn. And then, of course, the amateurs are, are on a broad spectrum as well. And it's interesting that Paul is saying you know, even professional musicians have a lot to learn. Because we have, the chorus has worked with so many different conductors. Mm-hmm. Um for example, there is one work, uh, Carmina Burana, that we have done with at least three different conductors because we did a Carmina with Daryl One. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've done Carmina with David, and we've done Carmina with a, a guest conductor. And so every time we do it, I learn something because each conductor brings something to my attention that they want to focus on that maybe the last conductor wasn't too interested in, you know. Mm -hmm. So as I prepare the chorus, it's like, oh, that's right. I never noticed this. So it's the same thing for the singers, even experienced singers. Now we have, you know, Polly here and we have such a variety of singers in our group. We have professional musicians. We have professional singers. We have people who have degrees in music, Mm -hmm. right? But we also have people who have never participated in any kind of a choir. So they don't even know what that's about. They don't even know what is a soprano, you know? And uh, and and I find that fascinating because, as, as you guys know, my approach to the choral rehearsal is it's very uh, pedagogical in the way that mm-hmm. I want people to learn things. And, you know, it sounds like a cliche, to but understand. I understand. Yeah. Understand. It, it's, I want them like to learn to fish. I don't want to give them the fish. So yeah. rather than just telling them what to do, mm-hmm. I like to explain to them why they're doing things that way so that if they find that thing again, that mm-hmm. same issue in another piece of music or in another chorus that they sing, you know, um, they can apply that concept and solve the problem on their own, thus becoming uh-huh. better singers. And that kind of gives them such strength, you know. Mm-hmm. I I've, I don't want to mention any names uh, because I don't, not because it's an embarrassing thing, but I just kind of don't want them to feel kind of, you know. But I have had a, sing- I've had a singer in this group who, when that person first approached the group, um, there was such fear because the group was so good. You guys sound so good. I'm afraid of joining this and just ruining it. So for a while, the singer just sat in the back and just watched the rehearsals. Then I convinced that singer to come and sit in the middle of the choir and sing right there. Then that person started to kind of, yeah, maybe audition. Oh, no. And then she understood <laughs> yeah. No, I just have to kind of mm-hmm. sing a little bit for him. And is one of the most loyal singers we have in that section today. Aww. Never misses a rehearsal. Is so diligent, you know. So if you like to sing and if you want to work with other people, just come on over. I'll teach you to sing. It's a wonderful experience. And I learned so much. Thank you. I really enjoy the camaraderie. You're a great teacher. Thank you. It's, it's a wonderful it's experience a every Monday night. It. Well, it's fun for all of us. I have a great time, too. <laughs> and then our performances are at the Gallo mm-hmm. at least two times a year. Correct. Um, normally, we do at least two concerts a year. Uh, we do a holiday concert mm-hmm. uh, at the Gallo Center in which the full chorus participates. It's called the Holiday Pops. Um, then the full early, court, early December, early, very early in December, normally the first weekend in, mm-hmm. in of December. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because this year it was, I think the first day of Friday was in no- yeah, was still November, November wasn't it? November 30th. Yeah, yes. Was 
So we do the Pops concert with the full chorus. Still in December, there is a smaller group from the chorus that I select to do the holiday candlelight concert. It's a slightly smaller orchestra. It's in a, you know, in the church. Um, and so... It's a smaller performance It's a smaller space. performance space, yeah. you know. And so that's our second concert that always happens, but that one is a reduced chorus. And then the full chorus does normally another concert with the symphony either in April or May. Mm -hmm. It's traditionally the in May. The, the, it's the last concert of the season. Now... Every now and then we have some special events, special occasions, you know. So a few years ago, Maestro Lockington wanted to do a concert of uh, Baroque music in February and uh, wanted the chorus to participate, but it wanted a reduced chorus. So the same reduced chorus that sang Candlelight mm -hmm. did that concert. Or this year, this season is a very fun season for us yes. because the women of the chorus, Sopranos and the Altos, had a concert with the symphony back in November when they sang this beautiful piece by the British composer Gustav Holst called The Planets. And now the man next month in March, just the man from the chorus, tenors and basses, will do a similar thing but with slightly different music. <laughs> so we're now singing for the screening of Pirates of the Caribbean movie that the symphony will do. And so the symphony will be playing the soundtrack in real time mm. and the men's chorus will participate in, in that concert. So there's a lot of hey, ho, and oh, hey, hey, yeah, you know. And it's very unusual music. It's nothing like Verdi's Requiem or even The Planets. <laughs> But we're having a really great time. Oh, I bet. And, and it's interesting to know that kind of each one of these experiences uh, brings such a different uh, uh, musical opportunity for mm -hmm. the singers, as I'm just describing. You know, you have it's great variety. pop yes, music and kind of a Christmas stuff, in a, you know, during the holidays. But then you also have the smaller group that does more uh, intimate, uh, smaller ensemble works. Then you have the large symphonic works, you know, the major... Uh, can, you know, pillars of the choral rep, symphonic repertoire that mm -hmm. mostly come from the 19th century and 20th century. But then every now and then, we also do something like Just the Man or a Disney concert, like singing the soundtrack. Or uh, many years ago, we had a piece commissioned for the chorus. Uh, one of the kind of uh, younger generation of uh, composers, uh, Gabriela Frank, uh, she was commissioned to write an, an original piece for mm -hmm. us. Uh, and the chorus did that. Um, so, you know, there's all sorts of really interesting things that the chorus does all the time and I think keeps the singers excited about making music and, yeah. and, and just learning new things. One of my favorites was the Viola Bosch. Oh, that's 10. right. Oh, that <laughs> so that was, was another one. So much fun. Yeah. And, and, and I, think, I think sometimes people go to, uh, go to our, our concerts and, and they appreciate are singing what we're doing they enjoy but they feel intimidated by the you know how elaborate the music sounds and how crafted and and kind of difficult perhaps you know and you know we start from one note at a time mm -hmm. and we take our time we rehearse gradually and and so even the singers with less experience i think are brought through a process that by the time of the performance, they feel like they know the music. So yeah. even when we sing something like the Villa Lobos, mm -hmm. that is such a challenging, difficult piece, we had worked so hard on that that when we performed, we actually kind of enjoyed it. Oh, we it was, did. It was having, Finally, it was having a yeah, fun time. <laughs> yeah. So it was a lot of hard it's work. True. Mm -hmm. 
but it was a very unique experience. And oh, so I'm glad to hear it. that you enjoyed it. And yeah, people like Polly, maybe um, we, I was saying, we have so many wonderful musicians in our group. And so, for example... We have uh, several choral directors. We have several yeah. choral directors in yeah. the group. Um, and they're always helping, too. Mm. You know, doing sectional rehearsals when we separate in smaller groups uh-huh. to learn our own parts, you know, alone. Uh, and then Polly is, you know, such an experienced choral director. And I, she's always subbing for me anyways <laughs> when I'm away. But, you know... That's fun. <laughs> I, there are so many people in the group that I can count on to do that. So it's really kind of a... Very collective effort. Yeah, and, and yeah. I I was going to say about this whole business of learning. Um, once you're in the chorus, yes. It, for people who have stayed with the chorus over these many years, or even some of the many years that the chorus has been running since 2001, um, I personally have noticed a big difference in the general facility and ability of the chorus as a whole to hmm. you know, read music yeah. and to respond to Daniel and to change their tone quality when when requested and so forth. So I really think that all of that education that he was talking about is certainly happening and it stays with the choristers even though we only meet once a week. Mm-hmm. It's for an extended time. It's for a couple of hours, two and a half hours. It stays with us and some people practice during the week even. They're uh-huh. very dedicated. So I just wanted to add that the chorus... I believe as a whole, um, the expertise of that ensemble has risen over the years. Oh, absolutely. And we can actually learn our music more quickly now, Mm -hmm. which is helpful because then we can get beyond the nuts and bolts into the more interpretive side of the music and spend more time on that, which is really rewarding too. You know, I often am often so, so impressed, not really surprised, but impressed with how far the chorus has come and their ability to retain so much mm. you know um we have over the years particularly for the holiday pops concert we have sung some pieces in consecutive programs you know sometimes we repeat one piece or two you know and it's always really amazing to me how well everybody remembers stuff you know when you guys have seen this we have had this experience in cars i will bring you know we an arrangement of we wish you a merry christmas that we did three years ago and then let's read through and then everybody sings and it somehow it's got there it stayed in there and i i just to me it's i find that amazingly fascinating you know and um so that is also very rewarding because you see like, oh, yes, it's, yeah. they are becoming better musicians. They are retaining this information. And then the last thing I want to add about this participation in the chorus, uh, because, you know, Polly and I are like major advocates of vocal music education and choral Good. music. and stuff, So I can talk about this for like an hour. Um, but the <laughs> interesting thing I find is like even those who uh, – our professional musicians experience that, but it's fascinating to see those who don't have a lot of musical experience, you know, previous to joining the chorus, when they are on stage at the Gallo Center for the first time behind the orchestra, looking at those instruments. Sometimes they don't even know what the instrument's name is, but they're just paying attention and they're learning and they ask questions and you just see that look in their faces. And then the next time they go to a concert, they identify the instrument, then it becomes more familiar, and they hear that instrument. Mm-hmm. And then the next time they hear a, re- a recording, you know, of a choral piece, they listen to that differently because now they are not listening just to the recording; they're mm-hmm. listening for things. They're expecting what is what are they doing with the tone? 
And what are they? How is their pronunciation? Are they rhythmically accurate? So you actually become kind of a, a real, a really much better musician, and you start to kind of notice things and appreciate well, things. Well, not only that, I can I can jump yeah. right in here. Is I think it's wonderful um, to be able to observe the professionalism of the oh, orchestra yes. members yes, because they is. are paid professionals. Mm-hmm. Right. They're not amateurs in that organization. And so they know their music cold. I mean, they have to because they're paid to do that. And and they're fabulous musicians. And it's just, it's like for those of us, even me as, as a musician all my life, to sit behind an orchestra and see how those people function because I've been functioning with high school students who often don't know from nothing you know when you get started with them it's kind of like Daniel has oh, a few yeah. people like that as well in the course but but you see these people that are just ready to go out of the starting blocks and they've got it you know and it's just so it makes us I think as chorus members adopt as to the extent that we can yes that mental set and become more professional in that aspect as well. I'm talking with Daniel Afonso and Polly Vache here on Arts of the San Joaquin Valley. Let's turn to you, Daniel, and what was it like growing up in Brazil with, with the music, and how did that affect you? Oh, that is such a good question, and someone is going to have to stop me because I can't <laughs> talk forever about this. But I had two amazing parents. My father, unfortunately, passed away in 2009. My mom is still alive, and she lives in Brazil, in Rio. And my parents, both of them, of whom grew in poverty, you know, my dad grew up on a farm, really very, very poor. My mom was in an urban environment in the northern part of Brazil, but still a lot of poverty, and worked really, really hard from a very young age to kind of have a better life when they started their family. And so when I was born, um, my parents really, my mom is a teacher, she's a retired school teacher. Um, My parents really put a lot of value in in education and particularly trying to give me the opportunities that they had not Mm -hmm. had, you know? So I was an only child and I am an only child and uh, my parents decided to put me in private school and piano lessons and swimming lessons and judo and everything they you know they <laughs> thought if he's athletic he's got to explore that if there is an arts there then, you know if he likes writing let's you know uh-huh. so my parents really tried to you know do that second uh, i grew up in an uh, in a baptist church which uh, for a lot of people is a surprise uh, because everyone perceives most of latin america as a very catholic region in the world and it's true it's still a very catholic predominantly Catholic uh, country. A lot of people profess to, to be Catholic. If, whether they practice or not, that's another story. But there are a lot of other evangelical and other denominations in mm-hmm. the country. Um, and so I grew up Baptist and went to a church that was very large, you know. Um, so I grew up in a Baptist church that had nine choirs. Oh my goodness. You know, it, there were 1,300, 1300 wow. members in that church. There were th- just children's choir. There were three, so from a very young age, I you know I you know that those kind of graded choirs that you sing in the children's choir, and then you get to an age and join the youth choir, and then you get to the chancel choir. So I went through all of that, and because I took piano lessons, I also often played at church. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of the beginning of my love for choir and music. You know, um, I later on 
when I was in high school, I had a teacher, I have a friend actually, who had a teacher, a music teacher, who was the main choir teacher at the National Conservatory in Rio. It's called the Conservatório Brasileiro de Música. And she said, Daniel, my teacher wants me to go sing with her at the National Conservatory. Do you want to join? Do you want to come in? It's like, of course. So I showed up to this rehearsal. I wasn't even a student at the conservatory. I just mm -hmm. went with my friend because her school teacher invited her. So we went, and I just, it was the first time I sang a piece of music that wasn't sacred. Um, and I will never forget, we were reading a four-part an arrangement for you know mixed choir with men and women of uh, a song from um, that musical oh, in Portuguese is A Novisa Rebelde um, Edelweiss oh Sound of Music Sound, Sound of music. music there you go <laughs> so I get to the rehearsal in typical Brazilian fashion I got there late and when I walk in that's where they're reading and I just remember my eyes kind of getting filled with water it's like oh my goodness I love this and I kind of sat behind the basses got a score and started to sing and I still know that bass part from memory and to today oh, <laughs> and that was the beginning yeah. that teacher's name was Nilda Miranda and she was a well-known choral conductor in Rio and I think from there on it was just kind of almost kind of a natural flow I just that was what I wanted and you started conducting at the at as 16 a teenager. yeah oh, I was only yes. 16 years old when I had my first choir because I joined the conservatory and I loved that and so I went back to my church and I thought I thought I'm gonna start my own choir oh. and I talked to my friends you know all teenagers we were all the same age and we started our own group and I played the piano and I started to write arrangements for the group. And I think that's kind of how my compositional thing started too, just writing music for that group and trying out without ever having a conducting lesson, you know. So when I got to college, the music minister at my church said, you need to audition for that school. They have a very good music ed program and you're going to learn to conduct there. And then you need to go to that other school to take conducting lessons with this person. So I got... Some musicians were near and a little bit more experienced to give me some guidance in what to look for and who to approach and what schools would most likely be the best fit for me and mm -hmm. my experience at the at that time. And so I'm Did very. Were you studying in the U.S. Do you mean? No, or, no, no. This right was still in Brazil. In, in, yeah, that was oh, still in Rio. Still this Brazil. this okay. was a, I was finishing high school and mm -hmm. just getting ready to go to college. You know, and uh, I did not listen to them though. Because I was afraid and I heard so much of those, oh, music, but no, what's the real job? Or what's your backup plan in case music doesn't work out? It's like, how are you going to make money? Are there jobs? You know, have you heard this before? I have. So I was afraid of that. And I thought, okay, maybe I could do something else. So my first year in college, I was a French major. Now, I don't know what led me to think that being a French major would be much better than being a music major. But as it came to my mind, I thought, maybe I can teach French. I can, you know, there will be language jobs, you know, for sure. But, you know, but after that first year of college, I just kind of, I knew music was for me because I was still conducting that youth choir mm. that I had started. So, uh, and the circle of musicians around me at church, like, Daniel, stop fighting you're a musician you got it so I did um, and in Brazil you can go to two universities at the same time oh. so for 
about two years, I was majoring in French in one university, and then I was majoring in music ad in the other university, and I had to plan my classes so that they would never conflict, you know? It it was interesting. It was a very fun... for you. But I never, unfortunately, never finished the French major. In my junior year, I just... I decided I can't do this anymore, and then I yeah. just finished my... But um, see how the French has benefited you in your French pieces. Indeed. Text, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh, I do speak French, so it's it kind of, it works out. <laughs> when did you come to the United States? I came to the U.S. Uh, in 1994, uh, and originally I came here to go to graduate school, which I did. I got my master's degree in the Midwest, where choral music is amazing. Uh, so really a lot of good choral music happening in in the in the, in the heart of the country um, and in the midwest and particularly particularly in the northern states uh, there's a lot of very good uh, choral music being taught so i went to i got my master's degree at the university of missouri in kansas city um, and i love kansas city and then when i was finishing my master's degree my teacher called me and said look there is a small college in nebraska uh, liberal arts school where the core director is going on sabbatical next year and they called me and they don't want to do a search they just want me to recommend someone to fill in for him and I'd like to recommend you are you interested so I taught in Nebraska for a year after that and then I was still thinking about going back to Brazil at the time but I thought that if I went to Brazil I would not have a doctoral program in choral music yet at there so I applied for uh, my doctoral program here in the U.S., instead of moving back to Brazil and then coming back to the U.S., thought, let's get it all done now. But then when I was finishing my doctorate at the University of Iowa, this amazing job at Cal State Stanislaus um, was open because my predecessor uh, had recently accepted a job um, in another school in the Midwest, and the university did not have time to do a tenure-track search. So when I first came here, I was a visiting professor, um, and uh, two years later, they did a search for a tenure track position, and I got the position. So, I was two years as a visiting professor, and now in August it will f- be my twentieth year of at Stan State. I started nineteen ninety nine. Yes. Yeah. So, Yay. and I'm very happy to be here. Oh, so. and we're so glad you are here. So you coordinate the vocal and choral studies. Mm-hmm. So what um, majors and classes are, are currently offered? I basically, well, I can't tell you what is being currently offered, but I can tell you that I teach the two choral classes. That there are two choirs, and uh-huh. they are classes for which the students register and they get a grade. You know? So we have a larger ensemble that's called Concert Chorale. And we have a, a smaller, more advanced group that is called Chamber Singers. So I'm currently teaching those two courses. Uh-huh. I also teach um, the classes in the music education curriculum that are related to choral music. So the music education students who, you know, um, they have to take courses in conducting in choral and instrumental conducting, oh. choral and instrumental literature, and choral and instrumental uh, teaching techniques, methodologies. Uh-huh. So I teach the three classes that are on the choral side, choral uh, conducting, mm-hmm. choral methods, and choral literature. And then 
on my spare time, <laughs> I teach one of the theory courses too. I teach ear training, which is a class in which the students learn how to read music, how to listen to things critically, how to identify chords, and how to take um, listen to something and write that. We call it dictation. So oh. you hear a melody, and then you're able to notate just the same way you hear a word and you can write the word, right? So we, you know, so that's the class I teach. It's called ear training and oh. sight singing. You're listening to KCBP Community Radio at 95.5 FM and streaming at kcbpradio.org. Once again, I'm speaking with Dr. Daniel Afonso and Polly Vache. Thank you so much, Daniel. I'm going to sure. ask Polly now, what was the influence on you as you were growing up? How did you get into music? Well, like Daniel, I had great parents, and they both loved music and participated avocationally um, my dad loved to play the saxophone alto saxophone I think he had a soprano sax also and when he was in college he was in a little band that went all over the place helping support himself through college that way and my mother had played violin growing up and loved to sing she just loved to sing as an amateur she, I don't remember her being in choruses but when we would go to church she, I would stand beside her and hear her voice, and I'd go, "Oh, my mom has such a pretty voice. I, I'd love. I hope I can sound like her." <laughs> I mean, I must have been like five or six or something. Oh, I don't know. So they, you know, and I wanted to play the piano. I remember that when I was probably five, I guess I was started. You know how kids go around and pound on the keyboard. A lot kids do that in general, whether they really have the propensity for it or not. Kids just tend to do that. But I really wanted to play the piano, and my mom got the message from some teacher, which I think was good advice that she should I should wait a couple of years just for physical size and oh. hand dexterity mm-hmm. and being able to sit still and you know being able to do more with my hands because they would be larger in a couple of years whatever so I started at the age of seven and I played it all the way through high school so for those 10 years seven through 17 I'm not sure about you Daniel you probably played no I started around similar, the same time too yeah kind of I similar. took classes around about the same time and I remember that I was invited to play piano solo at high school graduation isn't that kind of odd so they brought a piano onto the field and all this on it. Oh I remember goodness, playing a, a Beethoven. Yeah, we were outside. That's we, were, great. we were outside of the stadium and, and I played this little movement from a, a Beethoven piano sonata. But anyway, that was fun. So, uh, but I, like Daniel in a way, because he said a lot of people discouraged him and said, How are you going to make a living, you know, studying music? I myself thought, I can't major in music for a couple of reasons. It won't be fun anymore because oh. um, it'll be too much work to have to do the piano recitals, which I never <laughs> enjoyed very much. <laughs> I always got super nervous. Like, oh, my gosh. And at that time, I loved singing, but I, I couldn't even imagine majoring in vocal music because I'd never had a vocal lesson or anything like that. And then I thought, furthermore, how am I going to get a job? And I don't really care for teaching. I didn't think I wanted to be a teacher. Mm-hmm. But what do young kids know? You know, I was a senior in high school, but a lot of senior in high school, seniors in high school have very firm ideas, but they realize five or ten years later that that really wasn't what they should have thought. Yeah. But, you know, we have to go with our gut feeling at the time. So anyway, I went away to college, got a um, liberal arts degree, and then stayed because I didn't know what I was going to do, and got a master's degree in education. 
but no um, certificates, no nothing that really pointed me in a particular direction. And so I thought, well, okay, I'll work for a few years. So I worked for five or six years doing sort of odd jobs, good jobs. And one of my friends in whose church choir I was said, it's great because you can sing anything from soprano, alto, or tenor. I couldn't sing the bass part, but I could sing the, the upper three <laughs> that parts. That would be very unusual. And she said that's great, and then I started to don't company. dare, don't challenge Polly. There's very few. There are very few things Polly cannot do. <laughs> and then I was accompanying her. Um, I had taken up the piano again. And I was taking piano lessons as an adult. And the same friend, I, I was accompanying some of her voice students. This was at a small college where we were both working. And um, she said, you really should study music. And so I said, oh, my gosh, I don't know. I was 30 years old at the time. And so I said, I've already been, I have these two degrees. I shouldn't go back to school again. You know, it's a lot of money and all that. And she said, well, are, do you have any obligations? Are you supporting your parents? Do you have children? Do you even have a husband? I said, no to all of those. <laughs> Ran so out she, of excuses. So she said, just try it. And I said, well, okay, because I was truly enjoying being in her little eight-voice church choir. She had like a church choir of eight or ten voices, but I was living for that each mm. week. And I thought, well, if I'm living for that, but I have a full-time job doing something totally unrelated to music, what's wrong with this picture? You know. Uh-huh. So I better take her advice and at least, you know, and then through a series of, of connections from this same friend, I wound up at Stanislaus, um, Cal State Stanislaus in uh, 1972 and it was a three-year program for me I was hoping it was only going to be two years but it was three years because they have sequential courses as Daniel well knows in in theory history and uh, vocal performance actually I wasn't sure what I was going to do Mm -hmm. specifically as a major and wound up at the end of the first semester being a double major in piano and voice and um, I loved every minute of it. I couldn't wait to go to the practice room and practice and and help other kids. And I was I, I was older. I was. Uh, it's not so unusual these days to go back to university when you're older and change careers and do all that. But in my time, you know, 30 or 40 years ago, that was kind of unusual to be there doing that. Yeah. But I I loved it that I was with all these young people and I accompanied some of them as well and. You know, we went on choir tour, and my choral director there was a big influence on me. Uh, his Gary Unruh. Gary Unruh had come the same year I did to the university, uh-huh. 1972. And I thought, oh my goodness, he's going to be younger than I, which was one of my big fears going back to college. I didn't want to have professors that were younger than I was, uh-huh. but he had a very boyish look about him and everything. I found out later on that he's eight months older. So, so that so made everything okay. Yeah. That made everything okay. I said, okay, he's older than I am. And plus, he had been teaching for um, a number of years at a couple of different institutions. So I, I just had a wonderful time. And then I student taught. I, I wanted to earn my credential at that point. And I student taught with Eleanor Haynes, who's a legendary choral director in this yes. area. And the theater at Johansson High School bears her name. They wanted to honor her with uh, naming their theater after Eleanor. So um, I had a wonderful experience with her and she invited me to apply for the job. She was retiring that year that I student taught, among others. She had other student teachers as well, but she did encourage me to apply. And so I graduated in spring of 75 and I started at Downey High School in the fall of 75 (laughs) and stayed there for almost 30 years. So 
You had a number of ensembles there. I did. Yeah, I had five choirs. I really stepped into a very full quality program. I Uh will say that. I mean, it wasn't one of those deals where I had to grab a lot of students off the street or I had to train them. They were beautiful ensembles, and I kind of kept the same program over the years with some little variations here and there, which is a large concert choir, large mixed ensemble, small mixed ensemble, uh, the Madrigal Singers, which is the same Daniel has at the university, a large mixed ensemble, small mixed ensemble, and then two women's choirs, an advanced women's choir, the Nightingales, with a K, we are the Downy Knights, <laughs> um, Nightingales, and then... Um, the Gloriana was the training group. It was called Beginning Girls Glee. These these ensembles have had several name changes, but anyway, um, currently it's called Gloriana, and that's the beginning women's group. And then I had a men's ensemble for all of those years that met during lunch, and it ranged anywhere from 13 members to 40 members, um, but mostly more toward the 25, 30, 35 um, it was only really small for a couple of years. And the fascinating thing about going to Downey was that I was so like deer in the headlights. I had no idea what I was doing when I got there. Uh, I realized after about three years of being there when all of Eleanor's students had graduated that I better get my track shoes on and re- number one, recruit students because they weren't just coming through the door on their own. And number two, train students, because I had Mm. all these trained students, and I wasn't aware enough that this wasn't just going to happen every year. And so that was very interesting to to kind of, well, first of all, realize that, Uh and then go, oh, my gosh, I I really need to teach these kids to sight read. I need to do this and that. And there weren't very many reading and, and theory programs published at that time. This is 30 now 40 years ago but um nowadays within the last 10 to 15 years there have been many of these music teaching programs put out and they're all quite good i mean there are many really good ones but i didn't have anything so i wrote my own material so that they would learn to sight read and count and and all that sort of thing and i had a facility with language so i felt comfortable doing literature from and i had had such good choral directors because um, you had studied German also. In college, yes, I right? was a German minor, and uh-huh. I had lived in Germany for a while, so that was good. And then I loved Spanish and Italian, and you know the Romance languages wasn't a problem. My my biggest problem was French. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> I needed I needed Daniel at my elbow. And I want to interject here because I think Polly is just selling herself a little short here, because she's saying, "Oh no, I in her this program that." was already so well established and I really just didn't have, you know, but in my teaching career, because I basically, the core of what I do at the university is to guide students who are preparing to do what Polly did for so many years. So the music education majors are students who are getting ready to go to teach choir in K-12 schools. And so I have seen a lot of younger teachers, um, some of them, my students even, who will, even after having been in, in choirs since middle school, being you know in honor choirs and all state and sang all years of high school and all that, come and major in music education, get their degree, get a job in a school that has established program, and it falls apart. Oh, so it's not just about right. getting something that's working. I mean, keeping it working, as as she just was explaining, mm, like three you, years yeah. later, mm. she figured it out. That's oh, wait a minute, 
But she was smart enough and reacted and realized, oh, it's not going to stay like this. And a lot of young teachers don't realize that. Yeah. They think, I'm getting a really good job. All I have to do is bring the most difficult music that they can sing. And, <laughs> <Right>. and <laughs> let's just push it. And not think about the training, you know. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I always appreciate about Polly's work is that she, did a, she was really very diligent about um, teaching their students music literacy Mm. you know and it's just not learning to repeat what they heard but rather make sense of a music score and identify the symbols on the page and understand the difference between a tone that is a certain way and then a tone and a sound that's a different way and and guide their listening you know and so and and Polly did that just masterfully for so many years at at Downey so I'm glad she had like a very quick learning curve there those (laughs) got back on her what did you say? You got your shoes, the working shoes? Yeah, and my track shoes. My track shoes, yeah. My track shoes on. And, you know, and she kept running for, you know, nearly 30 years. And that program was dynamite in Polly's hands. Mm. Uh, keep in mind what she just said. She had very little experience. She's saying that a people mm. qu- church choir had already a master's degree in something else. It was fearful about approaching all of this and recognizes that, you know, she wasn't feeling 100% prepared. And yet... With her choirs performed at, you know, uh, conventions and conferences where only choral directors are in the audience. Can, I don't think it gets scarier than that. Oh no! You bring your choirs to sing that to an audience of, of a choir teachers, <laughs> you know, and yet always the highest praise. You know, I was lucky enough to have Polly send me many students over the years, students who had majored in music. Um, I had sang in her choirs at Downey High, and they would get to Stanislaus. They were always leadership roles they were always very strong sight readers so it kind of made the rehearsal process much faster because they would not only read the music with ease but also help the others Mm. and understand what it means to be part of that ensemble so really good work ethics so i think you know polly is well i think it's it's really neat i'll just thank you very much daniel i really appreciate that he and i i think have this same DNA or something that, that <laughs> choral DNA that, that, choral DNA that really mu- we are music or music is us yeah. or something I, I don't I don't want to that, that might sound kind of weird but I mean we are so dedicated to yeah. this um, line of work and to this philosophy that that attends it you know and everything that's lovely about choral music and the choral art and I, it's just I feel so thankful, so grateful that um, it's it's a gift that I feel that I have, and I was able to discover that later in my life. I consider that to be later when I was 30 and got my job at age 33, that I didn't just go through my life doing those other jobs. It just, it, it's really um, a bl- such a huge blessing to me. Daniel knew quite early on, even though he tried to distract I, I, I himself. I was told that. <laughs> other, other, people, other people tried to he distract tried to him distract, from that, yeah. but, he, but he knew that really, and he, he yeah. embarked on that path much earlier. Very, but, so very I just want to say I'm very thankful that I found, you know, there was someone had this quote that you need to find your bliss and, and many people don't. They go through life never really knowing what their gift is or how they could have applied yeah. it or whatever. And that's, it's just such, I'm just so thankful for that. I'm afraid we're getting off topic. Here. I know, we're talking so much all. about ourselves and not <laughs> talking about music in the center. We have to have more chapters <laughs> of, the, so of, the, of this discussion. 
I did want to talk about music education and how it's changed. I taught uh, elementary school for 36 years, and, and I started to see the decline in instrumental music, vocal yep. music, and I was shocked and horrified to learn that there are high schools around here that don't even have vocal music. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it isn't just Modesto. Modesto had such a stellar history mm-hmm. of strong vocal and instrumental music um, over the years, over these many decades. But it's true that the um, sections of music within each pro within each high school, you know, there were teaching sections, teaching classes. Like I had the five, I was full time vocal music. But those at the different high schools have either dropped completely, so there aren't any sections of choir, oh. or there might be one or two, or there might be a choir club or something like that that isn't really educationally sound yeah. and and supported by the administration and so forth. And there are so many pressures that have come to bear that have allowed that to happen, unfortunately, mostly financial, I would say, wouldn't you, Daniel? Yep, absolutely. And and I think partly also the home environment has changed so much over mm. these decades that oftentimes there, well, first of all, it might be a single parent household, so you don't have both parents there, you don't have as much attention to the child yes. to begin with, and as much interest in having like a piano in your home mm-hmm. <laughs> back when i was a, a child there it was i think 50 percent of america had a had an upright piano mm-hmm. somewhere in the house if not a grand yep. and people would just gather around the piano and sing and play and all that that has all kind of gone by the wayside i mean there aren't not all but it's it's Largely. unusual when you go into a home and see a piano it's like oh you have a piano yeah <laughs> you know and um they there may be a keyboard stuck around somewhere, you know, that somebody doodles around on or plays chords on and so forth. So it's just, it's a whole different um, mental set for the for the young people. I think the technology influence has made a huge difference because they've spent so much time mm-hmm. on technology and other, other aspects of education. It just come away from music somehow. And I also think, that, I think there are, a couple of other elements that also have um, contributed to this slight decline there. Um, when I first came to, Uni- to uh, not to United States, but to California, to Modesto, to Turlock, to be precise, because that's where I first lived, there were only five high schools in uh, Modesto at the time, and there was one high school in Ceres and one high school in Turlock. And all seven schools had very, very strong Mm-hmm. Choral programs. Mm-hmm. So this is 1999, I so agree. it's not too far long, you know, ago. Um, we've had some incredibly brilliant choral teachers in this area um, at every level of instruction, uh, both uh, from kindergarten to Little kids college. Right on that, yeah. Yes, we've uh, and we still do. We still have many, many talented teachers there, but. Um, I think the programs, particularly these programs that were not like required classes in the curriculum, the traditional curriculum, suffered quite a bit from budget cuts. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of programs um, were being eliminated or downsized or sometimes a teacher would retire or leave for another school in an effort to kind of 
kind of lesser expense, they would combine that choir position that used to be a full-time position with another subject. And so that person was no longer able to kind of give 100% attention to, the, to that program, which, as Polly was saying, you got to go out there and recruit and visit the schools, but you're also, you know, working with administrators and other teachers and teaching the kids and working with parents who often come to help the program, mm -hmm. you know, a booster club or a support organization. So choir teacher really it takes a lot of time, you know? And w just to, for example, one thing, two things Polly did not mention the, of, about that were things that she did regularly at, at her uh, Downey High School. She also taught a bell squire. So she taught classes in way in which she taught the kids to read music and play the bells. And it's, it's a very delicate um, kind of, you know, technique. And even just it's, even handling the, handling the instruments is a very delicate thing. So it was a lot of work. And every concert that she would bring the bells, they were impeccable. They performed beautifully at the same level that the choirs did. Another thing that she did, and I know this really takes a lot of time, musical productions she oh, almost yes. every year oh yeah the musicals did a oh, lot of musical theater so productions fun. oh my gosh and so totally she would fun. prepare the singers she would pre prepare the you know work with the orchestra she would conduct you know and she had good colleagues at you know program yeah, our drama and they director, worked yeah. really well together it was a beautiful partnership in every show i don't i don't think when was the last time i heard a bernstein musical being performed at a high school and yet when polly was there she and karen lothko mm -hmm. they did a production of on the town right it's like uh, oh yeah we did on the town and Sondheim. And, and Sondheim. Oh, oh my goodness! My. I mean, <laughs> and and they were amazing productions. The oh, kids sang beautifully. The orchestra played well. It was really well staged. I mean, those were incredible. And you know, you guys know this, but maybe some of your listeners don't know. Those rehearsals are in the evening. Some rehearsals. There's. I mean, the teachers are building sets, and the teachers yes. spend the weekend at school mm -hmm. because one kid is having a hard time with that little section. So you say, if you come here at ten o'clock on Saturday morning, you know. And and then the teachers bring their family to help out. So I'm sure yeah. Polly brought Bert in. It's like, <laughs> honey, you help with the programs, and can you do something with the recording? And and so it's 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 yeah. it really takes a, a lot effort. of your time. It's a, a huge effort, and so I think. It really needs, if you're going to have vocal music in a program, it really, I think the students benefit from having um, a, a full-time specialist who can really dedicate you know, themselves to, to that program, perhaps mm. not to the extent that Polly was able to. No. That sounds um, human. It is, it's pretty intense. It's oh, pretty no. intense. Those <laughs> kids are so lucky. And when, oh. you know, when you look back at your high school years, it's those musicals, it's those choir mm -hmm. tours, it's yeah. the, Memorable. you know. Oh, the, yeah, the choir uh, tours. Yeah. Performances. Oh, I forgot the choir so tours. And the yeah. conference programs and all these things. <laughs> so it is a big, it's a big job. And so budget cuts affected that because we lost a lot of personnel, right? Mm -hmm. And I also think what Polly touched on a very important thing about, you know, different parenting styles, yeah. you know, today, when I was in Brazil and, you know, as a kid, as a teen, and then even in college, my parents never missed my concerts. They were always there, you mm -hmm. know, taking pictures oh, and being yeah. proud and all yeah. that stuff, you know. Sadly today, some parents are just so overwhelmed with whatever is going on in their lives that, you know, 
it's not rare for us to see a parent come and drop off their kids at the concert and go somewhere else, and then they come back to pick up the child at the end. Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't happen all the time, and I'm by no means criticizing who does what, right. but it's just that we, we live in a different world today, yeah. And, yeah. And, and people have a hard time kind of prioritizing certain things, and, you know, a lot of the young students um, are feeling the pressure um, in uh, of kind of being competitive and of course the change in educational policy in the country yes, was very one of the big things that I've noticed over the last few years even before I retired was that there are so many additional requirements put into mm. the curriculum for these students especially for remediation yes. that they don't have time left for electives which would be Sadly. our choral program or mm-hmm. music program and actually the electives the music and art and all, all of those wonderful arts uh, cl- type classes uh-huh. make their brain stronger mm-hmm. so it's this That's horrible right. thing where you you're eliminating what would actually be of greatest service to the student and to their um, emotional development to their brain development to their wa- even wanting to come to school in the first place and their character because yeah. there's always an attendance issue you know it seems yeah. and, a, and a graduation rate issue and you say well give them something to come to school for because so right. many of my students would say well that was my favorite class in high school I, I you know I dragged myself to school every day just so I could be yeah. in choir for that one hour or whatever and, and that still happens by the way at oh, the university sure. I have students who say your class keeps me sane. Yeah, Aww. see, there you go. Coming to your class is what makes me handle my major. You know? <laughs> but then we, but then we lose those kids out of our classes because they are they have to take, you know, what, whatever the uh, current requirement is yes. to, for their graduation, and they keep adding on these requirements because of the standardization right. of the testing and all of that. And and, and, and that's also impacted their schedule. It's just, because so many testing days mm-hmm. um, also mm-hmm. impacted you know the ability of some teachers who have to if you're developing process with your students in a rehearsal I know as you know um, we learn a little bit at a time we keep you know adding things to it and and so when the students no longer have that amount of time at school because mm-hmm. they're being they have to you know it's testing schedule or um, the uh, administrators, with their reasons, started also to create more obstacles for the teachers to take the students to perform in, in, outside of campus, you know, uh-huh. off campus, and mm-hmm. take the kids to participate, to hear other high school choirs, other school choirs, to go to a festival, to do a, a small trip, because there was such so much pressure coming from the mm. standardized, you know, testing, and and so at the to all of this, the recession we, we got through, you yeah. know, in California not very long ago. So all of this kind of really shook up quite a bit what was happening in, in core music education. But I see an upswing now. I just, oh, good. I'm, I hope, I'm I always hope the pendulum so has swung too. the farthest it's going to go yeah. in the wrong direction. And then, and it's and then it'll back. start coming back and we have more choral music. Yeah. yeah. Well, I want to thank you both so much, Polly Vache, Daniel Afonso. It's been a thank real pleasure. Thank you for pleasure. inviting us. Thank, thank you so much. You. It was a pleasure being it's here. It's very fun. I learned a bunch of stuff today. Me too. And so did I. <laughs> and we hope we can come again sometime. Oh, I hope so thank too. You. Thanks. 
The Arts of the San Joaquin Valley has been produced and hosted by Linda Scheller and Sandy Graham and features music by Kilobot, Waves of Wonder from the album Jazzy Lazy. You can learn more about their music at www.kilobot.de. That's K-I-E-L-O-B-O-T dot D-E. If you would like us to feature your art-related event, or if you would like to be featured on our show, contact us at arts at kcbpradio.org. Stay tuned for more great community radio brought to you by local volunteers, the Modesto Peace Life Center, and listeners like you. Please visit kcbpradio.org to show your support and to learn more about your community radio station. Catch you next time on the Arts of the San Joaquin Valley.